Thank you for joining us for another week of Fashion Vibes Chat. Hope you've been having a good week. Um, I'm Hillary, founder of the Fashion Vibes platform. We're here to support and nurture creative entrepreneurs, filling in the gap between education and what happens in real life. This is our way to collaborate, connect and share. We really hope that the information that we provide is practical and useful. Um, we have been running these events for um, a little while, since June. So if you have missed a week, um, please feel free to catch up on IGTV. Um, we are delighted to have Whirlpool CEO, Helen Brocklebank with us today. Um, we're just waiting for her to, to come on board um, and it will be, it will be great. Hiya, how are you? Hello, good, how are you? I'm very, very well, nice. Let me just put my, make sure my phone is on silent. There we go. Okay. Um, should be fine. Yeah. <gasps> great, thank you so much for your time, time today. You're welcome. It's nice to nice to be doing something like this. It's been. Uh, I hope it's going to take my net mind off the next lockdown and all that all that kind of crazy stuff because that's. Uh, well, that's maybe crazy. not. Yes, it keeps on giving. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, well, Helen, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Um, before we dive into the questions, please tell us a bit about you. Uh, well, I'm Helen Brocklebank. I'm the chief executive of Walpole, and Walpole is the uh, the trade association. The kind of some, you know, it's a membership body for British luxury brands, and there are 270 uh, member brands from. Alexander McQueen and Burberry uh, to to kind of Wedgwood and Rolls Royce and Harrods and uh, Fortnum and Mason all you know there's a um, Mulberry and actually uh, lots and lots of uh, small and exciting businesses so somebody like uh, Dyewear Joanna Dye is um, on our Brands of Tomorrow program so uh, we're not just about the big names there's you know there's lots of really exciting up and coming ones too um, right. and. Uh, the the business of the organisation it's a it's a non profit it's it's uh, there to protect and promote and develop the British luxury sector. Okay, thank you very much. Now um, let's start with a simple one. Um, how would you define British luxury? Well, you say that's a simple one. <laughs> <laughs> and it really and it really isn't. <laughs> Although there's some really special characteristics, so um, I, I mean, you know, luxury as a whole is a is a European phenomenon with an with an international market. So, eighty percent of luxury production is in is in Europe. There's a little bit of American luxury, you know, kind of uh, Ralph Lauren being a you know a good one to uh, to kind of mention. But on the whole, you you know, luxury is uh, you know is is mainly that. Um, Kind of the, you know, the famous names that you recognize um, but there are some interesting national characteristics so whilst the business model is the same it's a common business model throughout throughout Europe it's a very integrated business across Europe uh, British luxury sorry you, I said it wasn't a very simple question um, <laughs> there's a really interesting kind of um, 
maverick spirit about British luxury. So Alexander McQueen is is probably the easiest way um, that I can explain that. So if you think of the extraordinary avant-garde vision of of Alexander McQueen, um, then but also the fact you know then he was that he was. Um, kind of you know, a really futuristic thinker, really avant-garde thinker, an extraordinary artist, but also he was supersonically brilliantly trained in craftsmanship. So he learned his skill on Savile Row. So I think if I was going to try and put, you know, uh, British luxury into a nutshell, <laughs> which I haven't done very well at all, it's that kind of, um, you know, contradiction of incredible craftsmanship and skill with innovation and breadth of vision. You know, you what Alexander McQueen always said was, uh, if you're going to break the rules, you've got to know what the rules are in the first place. And I think that's, you know, that's it. You know, um, does that that kind of kind of help? Yeah. I suppose. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes. um, I would also add that actually British luxury is very, if you contrast it with French luxury, British luxury is much more democratic. So in the UK, luxury isn't really about the price. Anybody should be able to have something they consider to be luxurious, you know, and, and my luxury might be different from your luxury. And I think in the time of lockdown and, and non-essential shopping being closed, we're quite focused on the things that make us feel beautiful and happy and good and cherished and, and love, you know, and all those kind of things that luxury does, you know. And that might be, um, I mean, I've got an incredible cup of tea here from, you know, Fortnum and Mason tea, the very, very best tea I could possibly buy in a lovely Wedgwood cup. That's a luxury for me that makes me happy. But it's not, you know, a Cartier Panther bracelet costing a trillion pounds. So it's not about the price tag. Um, I also think if you've got to put, um, so you've got most mouth here, I'm really sorry. Uh, uh, try and define British luxury. There's a, there's a, William, I'm going to give you William Morris as well as Alexander McQueen. So William Morris said, have nothing in your house that you do not uh, know to be useful and consider to be beautiful. So it's that combination of form and function of utility and beauty. And actually that goes all the way through luxury. So think about the, um, I don't know, the most iconic British luxury fashion product, uh, a Burberry trench coat. Right. I mean, that that came about, because, I mean, it's a, it's a really useful raincoat. I mean, that's the thing. It's got to have some practical use, as well as being this incredible Riccardo Tichy vision. But, you know, but it's, um, so that's, um, we're not, the, I mean, the French are more about um, la pour la. In France, you can have that very haute view of luxury where it is just very decorative and very, very beautiful. Um, but we can't really cope with that in this country. There's got to be something a little bit more either subversive or just it's got to it's got to it's got to work. It's got to keep the rain off. Yeah. Well, it's you mentioned being accessible to everyone. Now, it's I think I have an old fashioned view of luxury where I think it's, you know, for the for the more mature, I won't say older, the more mature, um, wealthier person. But Gen Z is buying a lot of luxury is that that's correct is it not yeah i mean i think you know there is a point in your life where you are you know you are you your your money is not going to your rent you know <laughs> it just it just comes and then you can start to think about uh, spoiling yourself a little bit more than you might do if you're in your in your early 20s 
Um, but actually, um, when you've got some disposable income, um, what's happened within the luxury sector as a whole, you know, whether it's you know, in France or, you know, Italy, wherever that, you know, or Britain, wherever it's come from, is that the awareness of what luxury is, um, is much, is much higher, you know, so a digital gives an incredible lens into, uh, into desirable, playful, beautiful things. Mm. Um, and also the brands are kind of really good about traversing that. So, I mean, if I come back to Burberry, you know, Ricardo Tisch is really clever. I mean, he remembers what it was like to be, um, you know, poor students in Martins really loving cool stuff. Yeah. So he does a T-shirt, which is super, super cool. And it comes out in a kind of a very limited edition drop. But, you know, you can afford to buy that. And then, you know, and then one day you, you know, you might think, well, actually that amazing Burberry bag or the, you know, or the trench coat or the, you know, whatever that, you know, whatever that is. So, so he kind of spans street to, kind of oat luke's and i think it's a much more stretched thing than it ever was it's not the preserve of the super rich right you know although of course that helps because then you can go on a trolley dash around harrods and buy whatever you want and it's all well that'd be amazing but you know it doesn't have to be you know the thing that makes you most happy should be accessible from the brand that you most love absolutely absolutely now on a, on a little bit more serious topic um how should businesses prepare in relation to Brexit? Well, this is, of course, a question that we've been answering since uh, I, June 2016. Well, not me, because I only joined Walpole in February 2017. But um, it's, it's really difficult with, what, um, eight weeks to go before before. D-Day, you know, before that cliff edge of the 31st of, um, you know, of, of uh, well, 31st of December, God, I couldn't remember what the month, what, where are we, who are we, um, I, you know, you've got to, you've got to do some really simple things, um, so if you export to, uh, you know, cross, you know, you need to kind of, uh, sim you know, simple basic stuff like an EORI number, E-O-R-I, and there is, a, actually, the government has put out some very good very good advice about that. Um, you should be ideally having uh, enough stock to fulfill orders in case there are delays. I mean, inevitably there will be delays at customs. Um, and I would also say that if you haven't thought through any of this stuff already, you really need to get weaving uh, because it will be different, you know, and there are things that we just don't, we just don't know, but things about how do I get my, uh, goods from one country to another is probably the question you want to be answering. Um, the other, we've got obviously lots on our website, but uh, if I was going to say to any brand, if you want a really easy win and a kind of, um, you know, 101 for getting ready for Brexit, the CBI website is really, really good. So the Confederation of British Industry, they've got a, they've got a, uh, a kind of a Brexit hub and it just gives you that advice. So just you know, go there and do the practical things. Uh, I mean, the truth of the matter, of course, is that we don't really quite know what, what, what it will bring. So, because that deal is still not done. Um, and we are also worried about the, um, you know, the cliff edge of a, of a disorderly Brexit. Right. And you definitely, I'm, I'm thinking you think that um, growth for the sector will be affected if there was no deal. 
Well, it's really, it's really difficult to say that in the context of COVID. So if you'd asked me that question uh, 12 months ago, I mean, even eight months ago, I'd have said it's very clear, actually, in a no-deal Brexit, because we'd, we'd run the numbers with Frontier Economics, a very respected um, uh, economic modelling firm, and uh, I think British luxury was going to, you know, was in line to lose about nine billion pounds in the event of a no deal Brexit in uh, in exports. I mean, that's a that's a very, very big number. Forty two percent of our exports uh, in the sector are to uh, are to the EU. Um, so. So that's a challenge. And then, of course, there's a knock on effect. I mean, some of that is mitigated by the fact that we have got to deal with Japan now. So uh, and that's a really important market for um, small, but very important market for, um, for for menswear, actually, and for uh, lots of, of very cool fashion brands. Um, so, you know, it kind of remains to be seen. I think the challenge of that is that we that kind of figure, figure becomes a little bit insignificant in the face of the um, the kind of the, you know the kind of the global challenges of the pandemic because you know if that was all we were talking about I think we'd kind of right now be fairly happy mm. but uh, so it's a different you know Brexit's a really different you know it's it's just it's just difficult in the context of it's additionally difficult in the context of of uh, of COVID. Right. Um, I mean, one of the things that's come out of it that we're doing a lot on at the moment is the proposed or well not proposed the decision from the chancellor about the abolition of tax-free shopping yes so that is a brexit connected decision because um you know on the 31st of december um the kind of the rules are from the wto that you either give um tax-free shopping to everybody including the eu or you give it to nobody so, uh, and the chancellor's chosen the nobody option. Now, now that's <laughs> that's a bit of a problem because actually, mostly these businesses are very robust. They are having an awful time with COVID, but they think they can recover quite quickly if the business model returns to normal. And the business model really depends on having international visitors in this country spending at the kind of level they were before. And if you put something in the way of that and ab abolishing tax-free shopping which is kind of a nice you know juicy little bit of incentive for for somebody from China or the GCC so high spending customers um, then that presents a real problem you know because you're going to come to Britain to have a I don't know have a lovely look at Buckingham Palace or something and you know maybe a cup of tea at the Savoy I don't know but then you're going to think well am I going to you know all the lovely things I was going to buy I'm going to buy them in Paris because I can get them 20% cheaper so you know, the particularly Chinese customer is quite is very price sensitive. So uh, and so you're, you know, that makes uncompetitive. And and frankly, whilst British luxury is all over the, you know, whatever the opportunity is of global Britain, what we're really not all over is being being made uncompetitive with Europe. So there you go off my soapbox now. <laughs> well, uh, maybe we can add to that a little bit. Um, so I've I read about the free ports. Now, do you think that will be beneficial? Is that to replace like the, the tax-free shopping with the um, making all the free ports and tax incentive for investment and that kind of thing? Do you have a view on free ports? Um, I think that just is, I mean, you can't, you, you 
putting that in a in a kind of bat free or kind of you know a tax free shopping conversation is is like comparing it's like apples and pears so you have okay. to take the part one tax free shopping is a consumer benefit and right. a consumer incentive uh whereas free ports is really it's a kind of much more of a business uh, a business thing i mean anything anything that helps um move goods over borders uh in the cheapest and most effective uh, uh and most highly incentivized way uh, possible is a is a good thing for business um, I think we just have to wait and see, really. I think there will be a deal. I think it's going to be a fairly um, a kind of, you know, sketchy deal, <laughs> you know, a diet deal. It might be oven ready deal, but it's certainly going to be a, a diet ready meal rather than some big beast. Um, but we, we just kind of see, wait and see how it, you know, how it evolves. I think the most important thing, though, is that relationships between suppliers across Europe and British fashion brands particularly, um, are um are really well established hmm. so and often those strong vertically integrated supply relationships will help you get through some of the bumps the legislative bumps in the road that might come about from from brexit okay okay um before i i move on there is um a question submitted um what is the best way to stand out as a luxury brand Good blimey, you and your $64 million questions. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think you've got to be um, you've got to be super, I mean super authentic. So um, whatever is the is the unus of you is what you've got to stick to. You know, you can't be all things to all people. You have to have a really distinctive proposition. You don't necessarily need to be uh developing something entirely new and radical but you need to be doing it um at the very best of your uh, of your you know of your, of your of your capability think about who your competitors are think about who's who's doing what the ones that stand out are the are the brands and the designers that have got a really clear vision and they're able to then touch make sure there's a an emotional connection with a with a customer and that you know at the moment that really means using um, social media really effectively. Okay. okay, thank you, thank you. Um, I mean, you've done some things as well, but I'm not going to. If we get into that, we'll be here all day. <laughs> Just to um, switch gears a little bit, when it comes to sustainability, um, do you think that luxury brands have somewhat of an easier path to becoming sustainable because it it can be kind of a cost a costly um, venture. I think I think they do. I think um, they may have an advantage, um, but uh, and I'll come back to that actually. But I think there's a responsibility actually as a luxury brand. You have to be sustainable. You can't be. It's going to be as an, as important as a, a feature of luxury as craftsmanship has always been. Um, and if you, you know, the only luxury I think is a, is a clear conscience. If you're not committed to doing the very best by people and planet, then you're just not luxury. Because luxury means being the best you can be. Right. And, and if you're not thinking about your impact on the, on the planet or, your, uh, or the way you, you treat people, you know, in your, uh, in your whole supply chain and then also your customers as well, then, then what are you saying? What are you, you know, are you luxury? I mean, you're not. 
it is a journey. So everybody is uh, is you know is on on some you know a slightly different stage, but you've got to get there. I do think it's easier for luxury because you are really committed to using the very very best materials, or you should be. You shouldn't be taking cutting the corners on those things. Um, if you're um, and you if you've got you tend to have very uh, closely knit supply I mean, I've talked about supply chain a lot but you're kind of vertically integrated very close supplier relationships means that you can trace uh, your impact back and you should be tracing your impact back so that's a little bit easier and you do also have a have a customer that if they're convinced that you're delivering them the best then they're not going to be looking for for that to be, you know, you know, to be to be produced for you for a, you know, for a fiver, you know, when we were not Primark and we're not Boohoo, mm -hmm. so so I think it's a combination. You've got, you know, the will of the company, the leadership of the company needs to be really committed. You're as a luxury brand, you haven't got a three-year horizon. You've got a what Christina Blanick of Manolo Blanick calls a three-hundred-year business plan. You know, so you're very committed to making sure there's a planet on which to be a great luxury brand, you know, in the first place, you know, you don't want to let the planet burn because you've got no business if you've got that long-term thing. Um, and also you've got a customer that demands it. So all of those things are, you know, are super important. Okay. Uh, that's your question. There was a lot in there. Yes, no, really, really good, really good. Um, please um, chat to us about Brands of Tomorrow, that initiative you have for um, young brands. Oh, Brands Tomorrow is fantastic. So um, it's so that we so British luxury is worth forty-eight billion pounds. I mean, pre-COVID, right? So and it's had a, an incredible trajectory of growth. So the last five years, it's grown forty-nine percent. Now, not all of that growth comes from the you know the, the you know the big the big players, the established brands, the kind of the ones that have been around since sixteen oh seven or whatever it is. Um, there's a really strong pipeline in this country, particularly of amazing entrepreneurial creative people who um who are those brands of the future so about 13 years ago Walpole thought right we need to do something really interesting um and um practical actually to help the brands of the future on their way how do we create that economic pipeline of growth for the whole sector so uh, every year we uh, invite applications um and we choose from, uh, from, a, from a very big pool, actually, 12 brands. They're fledgling, they're not startup. So you need to have been going for around, you know, around three years, ideally, so that you've, you've kind of got your head around where you are, you've knocked off the edges, you've kind of got a proof of concept. You're gonna be turning over more than 200,000 pounds, but less than 5 million. Um, and depending on what business category in, you could be near the top or, you know, at either ends of that. Uh, and you need to be a British brand. You need to be registered in Britain and have something that you, you know, it's, uh, you feel is kind of, there's a reason for you to have launched your brand in this country. Um, and you need to be positioned in the, in the luxury sector I mean, within that kind of flexibility I've described about what luxury is. So from kind of aspirational premium to maybe something super luxe. Um, and then we interview about 26 brands, which is very Dragon's Den, and the 12 successful brands get taken uh, through a programme that lasts the whole year of, uh, of mentoring and masterclasses and immersed in the whole Walpole network. So you're never more than one phone call away or one 
connection away by email or by in person from the person that can really help you. So if you're um, Araminta Campbell, who is a, an amazing Scottish uh, weaver, beautiful, beautiful um, uh, products made from, um, I'm going to say llama, but I don't mean llama, do you? I think I mean alpaca. Okay. There we go. <laughs> I'm completely mad. Um, uh, and also bespoke tartan. She did the whole of, of Fife House, if you've ever looked at that on, on Instagram or on, on the internet. Really, really amazing, uh, creative, beautiful person. Um, she wants to go, she wants to be in Harrods. So it was dead easy for us to just to go, uh, dear Michael at Harrods, uh, can you can you chat to Araminta, who's one of our brands of tomorrow? So they get you get a special spotlight as well. So the purpose of that, it doesn't you don't get any money. It doesn't cost you anything to be on it. Um, but we believe in you and we kind of wrap you in all the support that the network can give. It's a very collegiate sector of British luxury. Um, and so you get helped on your next to your you know to, on your way to your next level. Um, and Amelia Wickstead's been through the program, and Oliver Brown, and uh, I mean Bremont Watches, Miller Harris, uh, Night Inver, English Sparkling Wine. I mean um, Flower Box. I mean names that you've kind of really you know you've really heard of have kind of come through that program. And I think of the hundred and twelve that have completed the program over the last since it was founded. Uh, 98 of those businesses are still in still in business so we have businesses with an incredibly high uh, success rate as well oh amazing that's amazing um you may have touched on, on it already but what piece of advice would you give to someone entering luxury um industry now um i think uh, you need a really really you need a great creative idea and a really sound business plan so um and those two things are important what um what i'm looking for when i interview brands of tomorrow when we interview them is um is somebody that has you know has a great idea and a really and has really thought about their point of difference um and that but they and they might be ideally a team of two people and you've got a great creative person and you've got a really great kind of chief exec type operations type FCA, CFO, kind of businessy person. And that if you've got those two people coming together and they get on like a house on fire and they're kind of two, you know, two sides of the same coin, that that will give you some success. But right now, I would say the market is very difficult. But if you're digital first, you've got a point of difference you've got a really secure supply chain, you've got really good access to funding, you're bootstrapped, you're lean, you're hungry, you can really make it work. Wow. Difficulties have never been greater, but the barriers to entry have never been lower. Right. You know, we're, we're all, you've got our attention, we're all at home staring at screens. This is, this is a never to be repeated moment. I mean, I hope, but I mean, it's, you know, it's an opportunity right now. Yes, yes, definitely. Great, great. Um, all being well, what is your vision for British luxury? Well, my vision for British luxury is that uh, is that the UK is the very best place in the whole world to grow a luxury brand. Um, so so that's, that's a very big, a very, very big vision. I think we're really good in this country at... Um, uh, at helping entrepreneurs to to succeed it's very easy to start a business in in the UK it's more difficult actually to get the investment for premium 
um, premium brands and kind of consumer goods in general. Um, so you can get off the ground and you can get to a certain level. But actually, I suppose if I'm talking about the nitty gritty of my vision, it's how do we get the investment environment right so that brands cannot just get off the ground and do something phenomenal and beautiful, but can also scale because they've got the right kind of investment. So one of the things I've done to help that on its way is that Warpole's uh, uh, created a partnership with an investment uh, fund called, uh, called Red Rice. And they are a boutique VC firm. Uh, they really get uh, kind of premium and, uh, and kind of high-end sector. Um, they've got the backing of the British Business Bank. Uh, they've got some good investments. So uh, Dyewear, Joanna Dye, amazing kind of workwear brand. Castor is a men's sportswear brand. Uh, and a couple of really good things like that. They've got some. They've got some good good legs. So, so kind of connecting that investment thing. So, how do we how do we harness that entrepreneurial creative spirit and get these brands to kind of to fly to reach their full potential? Yeah. Awesome. 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 Um, oh, that was absolutely inspirational. Um, but also to end on a very positive note, um, I think um, businesses should be quite proud. Of themselves for adapting during this time would you would you agree oh my god you should be if you've if you've got through this and you think and you and you can get through to the other side of christmas then you need an absolute bloody medal i mean it's been the toughest toughest time i think for for leaders of business but one of the things that i've seen is it's actually this extraordinary, in the most difficult circumstances, this extraordinary explosion of creativity, um, on of a real acceleration of, of kind of digital, of digitization. And I mean, I've seen people kind of hacking Zoom to make it work for a, for a kind of real life shopping moment. I mean, all sorts of things going, things going. We've got I mean, at the very big end of the market, you've got Burberry experimenting with with gamification and social retail and kind of um, all sorts of things. So it's been a time of um, of real experimentation and real creativity. And I think if you can keep your cash runway secure enough to get you to the other side, and that's what it's gonna take, it's just about cash burn, mm. then you will have, and you play with it. You kind of use this as a, you know, constraint is the author of creativity. You use it to be a kind of laboratory for experimenting with, with stuff that you may never have thought about before. Then my God, your business is gonna be on fire when the customer, um, is you know is able to you know to consume in the way they once were amazing amazing well um that was quick and that was wonderful um thanks again for spending this time with us um helen thank you so much An absolute pleasure thank you very much for indulging me about you know with my uh, with my passion you know love it's it love it love it to talk about such an such an incredible uh, sector of the uh, of the economy you know mm. and if you're a young brand keep an eye on brands of tomorrow have a look at the website uh, thewallpole.co.uk um, you might not be ready for it now but that application process happens in the autumn every single year so you know if you're if you're a young an up-and-coming luxury brand apply we're here to support you excellent excellent um thanks everyone for tuning in um join us again next week we'll be chatting mental health with fashion psychologist um, Shakela Forbes Bell. Until then, thank you so much. Bye bye. Oh, thank you. Lovely to talk to you. Bye bye. Bye bye.